Well, that's uh, quite an introduction there, Pastor, but I'm glad to be here, glad to be at Smithfield Baptist Church. I understand that you guys started out uh, in 1802. Do we have any charter members still here? Uh, I've got one back here. Uh, we used to be, my wife Joy is here with me today, and we used to be at Christiansburg Baptist Church, which is just outside of the big city of Baghdad, and uh, it was founded in 1799, and I always used to kid them, we have a few charter members left, <laughs> and they're still, old, they're still there, but uh, praise the Lord for a church with history. Now that, that gives us a challenge, because when you have that much history, um, a wonderful history, and, and praise God that he established the church here in 1802, or I think it was up the road somewhere, and then moved here. That's all good. But when you have that kind of history, then, when you start to think of, about something new, there's a challenge there, because, well, the, the church has been here forever, it seems like. The church has been here so long, and so when something, you're, something new is on the horizon, and to celebrate that something new, it can get a little bit, well, old hat. We're used to these kind of things. Don't ever get used to anything. Don't ever get used to anything or take anything for granted. This is a glorious day. It's a day that we can gather together and worship the Lord on the Lord's day. If that's all that this is, that is the main thing that we're doing. We're here to worship the Lord. And thank you, brother, for leading us in song. And thank you, sister, for helping us to sing. Isn't that a glorious beginning of a day and a glorious purpose to glorify our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ? That's why we're here. Beginnings, though, are always an exciting thing, a challenging thing. We're full of anticipation. And I know that uh, Brother Peter and Sister Clarissa, you've been here for a while, so this is, not, this is not your first Sunday. So these folks know you already, but this is a new chapter in your life, in your lives, and in the life of this church. We've come today to recognize and then to celebrate and then to ordain uh, Pastor Peter Phillips into uh, the gospel ministry. Now, you've been ministering the gospel for quite a few years, so, so this, this is not a beginning of that. You've been doing that. The Lord has already appointed you as a pastor. The Lord has already called you as a pastor. But this is a, this is a special deal where even biblically we have, we have the seeds of this and we have the examples of this, when there was a, an office all through history in the Bible, including the Old Testament, they would, there would be offices, whether it was a king, he would be anointed king, whether it would be a prophet, many of the prophets were anointed in that way. In the New Testament, the Apostle Paul in 1 Timothy 4 speaks, of, speaks to his son in the faith, Timothy, and he talks about how that he was gifted by the Lord, and he said that gift came upon him through the laying on of the hands of the elders of the church. And so what we're doing today, you, won't, you can't find chapter and verse and say, well, let's see how did they do an ordination service in the Bible. It's not exactly there, but we have examples all through the history of the Word of God, the history of God's people, how that they laid, they laid hands on and they set aside for the purpose of fulfilling an office, fulfilling a calling among the Lord's people, and that's what we're going to do today. This church, Smithfield, you've got a long history. Praise God for it. And you think you're 100, uh, 219 years old, but you're older than that. You're older than that. 
Word of God shows us and teaches us that first you were born in the heart of the Lord a long time ago. The Bible says in Ephesians 1, even as he chose us in him that is in Christ before the foundation of the world. Do you think that in 1802, the Lord was surprised and said, wow, those folks down there, they decided to plant a church. I think, I think the Lord knew, knew that a long time before then. long time before then. Before there ever was a place called Smithfield or a place called Kentucky or a people called Baptist, you were already a gleam in the eye of the Lord. You've got quite a history, church. It goes back a long, long way. And we can go on and remember that in the book of Isaiah, our Lord Jesus, as, as our brother said, he's the king. He's the Lord. He's the head over the church. He's the chief shepherd. He is all that. And as he was pouring out his soul unto death for sinners, Isaiah the prophet wrote before that day came, when his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring. That, it, that means he shall see those who will come, his descendants. Now, we know that the Lord Jesus Christ never married. He had no earthly offspring. Who are his offspring? We are. He saw his offspring. Think about that. He saw his offspring. Out of the anguish of his soul, it says, he shall see and be satisfied by his knowledge Shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous, and he shall bear their iniquity. The Lord foresaw all the way down through the time of history. That was 2,000 years ago when he was pouring out his soul unto death. For us, for you, church, he saw you. He saw his offspring, his spiritual offspring, his daughters and his sons, as you are in Christ. And what does it say in the New Testament? Remembering our Lord, who is the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of God. For the joy set before him. What joy was that? Well, he was joyous, I believe, in his heart because he's glorifying his father. And he's looking ahead to see you. The reward of his suffering. He was looking out through history and seeing you. And for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame. In other words, it was a shameful thing to hang on the cross. He just he said. That doesn't bother me for the joy set before me. For the joy set before me. Then, this church was established some 1,800 years later. And here you are. You have a history, and you're looking forward to what the Lord will bring next. You've seen years of fruitfulness and joy. And if you're like any other church that I've ever been a part of, you've had years and days and months and weeks and times of challenge and even of suffering. That's all part of life, isn't it? 
and we face it together. And as a church, you face life together, and you're in this together, and you're in what the Lord's doing in Smithfield, and you're in what the Lord's doing in, in calling and now ordaining a pastor. I don't know how many pastors there have been at Smithfield. No doubt it's more than a few dozen, over 219 years. Don't get used to that and don't take that for granted. What a blessing it is that the Lord calls men to serve as the under-shepherd. Peter said it well. Jesus is the shepherd. Keep your eyes fixed on him. But he, in the wisdom of God, sends forth those who will serve the church in the office of pastor, elder, overseer, all those words are biblical words, to shepherd the flock of God. Now, how does he do that? I want you to turn, if you will. We're going to look at several passages of Scripture. I'm not going to tell many stories about Peter. He wouldn't want me to. Uh, but we do have Scripture to read. And that's why we're here. We want to get our directions from the Word of God. So look in Ephesians chapter 4. It's the first place we're going to look. Where we read that God gives gifts to His church. In Ephesians 4, and I'm just going to break into it. And it says, in verse, beginning in verse 11, And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers. Shepherds means pastors. To equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning and craft, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. That's what the church is doing. That's what the Lord is doing in giving gifts to the church. What were those gifts he listed? Apostles and prophets and evangelists, pastors, teachers. Now the apostles and the prophets, New Testament prophets, were those on whom it says in the same book of Ephesians, it says in chapter 2, the entire church is built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Uh, well, Pastor Peter, we need some apostles to come along and, and help us out in this. No, we don't. We've got them right here. Their word is written, recorded for us. And, and that, that foundation of the church has already been laid. We have it in the word of God. Evangelists went forth in that day and still do in this day to preach the gospel to those who have not yet heard it. Praise God for that. And then he gifts the church with pastors and teachers or pastor teachers. They're the ones who teach God's people. And we'll look at it a bit more in a minute. Why does he do that? Because it's just a good thing to do. And that's what we pay them for. So that's what they ought to do. No, he's got an aim in mind. And we'll look at that aim in a minute. It's to equip the saints. It's to equip us, the church, so that we might do the work of ministry. It, it does my heart good to see that you, church, Smithfield Baptist Church, you value and cherish 
and hold dear to your heart the word of God. You hold dear to your heart the word of God. And I'm, part of what we're going to do today is I'm going to, I'm, I'm preaching the word and I'm going to charge my brother, here's what you are to do, brother. And I'm going to charge you, church, here's what you're to do. You're to hear the word of God. You're to value and cherish it and feed upon it. And let the word of God feed your very soul. To equip you to serve one another. To minister to one another. And to look out beyond the walls of this church. And to serve the people of Smithfield and beyond. With the gospel of Jesus Christ. And with the practical ways that you love one another. You're reaching out to your, your neighbor. I'm so glad to hear that. You're going to have something coming up next week. I was hoping I'd get one of those uh, bags of candy. Every little thing. Every little thing. Use it for the glory of God and to reach into the lives of your neighbors so that you can plant seeds of truth. And, and the Holy Spirit will use that truth as it comes from the word of God from your lips and from your pastor's lips to reach them with the, the gospel of Jesus Christ. God has gifted the church. The responsibility for what it means to be a pastor is, is given to us. And we can look. I want you to turn now with me to... Uh, 2 Timothy. Uh, chapter 1. Where Paul says. In verse 13. He's writing to Timothy. Timothy is his son in the faith. We're thinking about. We're thinking Peter about the responsibility of a pastor. The qualifications of a pastor are given in 1 Timothy. Chapter 3. We've already considered the qualifications of our brother to serve as a pastor. Not everybody's qualified to serve as a pastor. It doesn't mean a pastor is better than anybody else whatsoever. It just means there's certain qualifications. You've met those qualifications in, in the eyes of the Lord and of this church, and they've called you to pastor. When was that, by the way? How long ago was that? Okay. So, that's already been done. You've considered that. Brother's been serving here for all these years, for all these months now. All these years. Not that long. So he's been, he's qualified in the eyes of the Lord and in the eyes of the church. And that's important. You recognize his qualifications to serve. What are his responsibilities? Paul says there, follow the pattern of sound words that you've heard from me, from the Apostle Paul. Follow the pattern of what the apostles taught, like Paul. The sound word you've heard from me, in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus, by the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. What are the responsibilities of a pastor? You're being ordained, set aside, recognized by the whole church and, and neighbors and friends among us to serve in the gospel ministry. What are your responsibilities? It is be a follower. He says, follow the pattern that I gave you. So a pastor is to be a follower. Well, I thought the pastor is supposed to be a leader. He is, but only as he follows the good pattern that the Lord has given through the apostles and prophets that's recorded to us in the word of God. So you get your marching orders and you get your direction and your instruction and what you're supposed to be about from the word. So you've got a pattern. You're a follower. 
A pastor is to be a follower. A follower of what's already been established. It's not, the ministry is not, and you all know this, the ministry is not an experiment to be, well, let's see if we can find some new way to do this or that. Now, there's some new ways to do this or that. You all have got, how long have you had these TV screens up? Okay, five years. You mean the church went for 200 and 14 years without them? And then electric lights. I know that you got electric lights. It's a good thing. There are there are new things to do. And there are even new ways to give out the message. That's a wonderful thing. But we are to follow what's been given. Not an experiment. It's, it's not, let's practice some new thing. It is to follow the path. So you're a follower. Equally, your responsibility is to do this in the power of the Holy Spirit. To guard what has been entrusted to you. That's what Paul said here. Guard it. So you've been given the pattern. Now guard it. Hold on to it. Make sure that you keep it. Protect it so that it, you won't get either burned out from doing that or lazy in doing that. I'm speaking to myself as a pastor now. It's possible for us to get tired. But guard it. Hold to it. Make sure that nobody steals it from you. Or that you hide it somewhere because of your weariness, which will come sometimes. You're in, you can't do that, though. It says here, it doesn't say, Timothy, you do this with all of your might. He says, no, in the power of the Holy Spirit. In the power of the Spirit. Hold that pattern. Guard that truth, what's been entrusted to you. Something has been entrusted to you that's so valuable, it has to be guarded and kept not by your strength, but by the power of the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity. That's pretty important. I mean, it, it's that valuable that you keep that and guard that that much with not your power and your strength, but with the power of God himself? Absolutely. And that's not just a word for pastors. It's a word for the whole church. Hold to the pattern. That which has been entrusted to you as a church, hold to that. In the power of the Spirit. We could go on, as Paul writes in chapter 2. Uh, he says to share in the suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. Paul writes to Timothy. Share in suffering. As a good soldier. That's in verse 3 in chapter 2. Peter. Sometimes. Pastoring. Ministering is soldiering. And soldiers suffer. Some of you perhaps here. We, we know about that firsthand. Soldiering is suffering. And pastoring is to be part of that. Paul suffered and he writes to Timothy, the young minister, and he says, you be a good soldier of Jesus Christ. And you be ready and willing to suffer for his sake. Being a pastor is not all easy street, but you know right well. So what do we do? We say, well, I wasn't expecting this. The Word of God teaches us that it will be. Now, um, 
I can say some things here because I won't probably be back. <laughs> It'll be all right. Don't anybody ever think, well, the Bible says that pastoring should be suffering. So let's make sure that Peter gets a good dose of that. No, of course not. And I don't expect anybody here thinks that way. But lest you ever be tempted, put that away from your mind. You ought to do all that you can to help this person. Serve as your pastor. He'll, he'll suffer. But, but don't add to his suffering unnecessarily. I believe that he'll willingly suffer along with you. And he'll willingly bear some of the burden that you've got and suffer even in that. But let's not add to it unnecessarily. Let's, let's come alongside and undergird him. Pray for your pastor. I'm going to mix all kinds. I'm charging you, brother. I'm charging the church. Uh, pray for your pastor. I know that you already do, but pray more. Make that a labor of love to pray for him. As he serves you here, and even as he suffers sometimes. Paul tells Timothy, and I now say to you, brother, I charge you in the presence of God, this is in 2 Timothy 4, familiar passage, verse 1 and 2, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. That's your charge. That's the charge that the Apostle Paul gave to Timothy. Preach the word is your charge. You do. I believe you love to preach. You do. Praise God for that. I would, I would hate for that to be an imposition. Or, well, i got to go preach today. Um, it's the Lord's day. Got to go preach. Maybe somebody say, well, yeah, he's got to preach today because that's what we pay him for. I hope that you do provide some uh, enumeration to him. And yet, he doesn't preach for the money. That's not his desire. He preaches because he loves the Lord. He's been given the gift to teach and to preach. And he needs to exercise that, or else it'll just come busting out of him. And the Lord has ordained it. The place that that is to happen is in the church, and the pastor is to do that. Others are to teach and preach. Y'all know that y'all can preach too. You ought to be preaching every day in your families, at your kitchen table, where you work, where you go to school where you teach, wherever it might be, with your neighbors, across the backyard fence, wherever it might be. We're all to be those who proclaim the good news. We're all ministers of the Lord, as a matter of fact. But there is this office of pastor, and you're to preach. But you're not to just preach anything. What, is, what are you to preach? Preach the Word. Preach the Word of God. Stick with Scripture, brother. And I believe that you have, and you will. You do that now. But Paul has this in here for a reason for us to be reminded where to preach the word. Where to preach the word. And uh, he says that this preaching involves all kind of stuff. I see five different kinds of preaching here. 
First, there is in-season preaching. In-season preaching might be, it's what you would expect. A pastor to come along, someone is suffering. Or the church needs to be encouraged. Or we need to be challenged. So he knows from his studying the word and being led by the spirit. And you all know it might be to one of you to come along with that kind of a word of encouragement or instruction it might be. So in-season preaching, is that what we would expect? And brother, do that. And be unashamed of Be unashamed to go through verse by verse and passage by passage and book by book. Just be faithful to the word. Then there's out-of-season preaching. I don't exactly know what time that is, but it's time maybe you don't expect or sometimes don't want. Have you all ever heard anything preached that, oh, I wish... I wish the preacher wouldn't have said that because that kind of hits home. Sometimes you got to do that. You all, you all want the pastor to do that, don't you? I heard a couple of amens. Sometimes we need to be, we need to be hearing some things that might. He's not going to sting this for the sake of stinging. He's going to preach the truth. And there's in season preaching and there's out of season preaching and then there's the I won't dwell on these but it says reprove, rebuke and exhort we like the exhorting part let's exhort one another encourage one another in the faith but he also says something about reproving and rebuking I don't think um, my brother has a um, he doesn't have a calling and I don't think he's got a bone in his body that desires to rebuke or reprove anybody. Except as he's faithful to the word, the Lord will use his word to reprove or rebuke us if we need that. You all want to hear that too, don't you? I hope that you do because it says... Um, That kind of preaching and rebuking we need. Now, how do I know that? Well, in Proverbs, you don't have to turn to Proverbs, but listen to, listen to these couple of verses. Proverbs, in Proverbs 15, is full of wisdom. There's all the, the whole book of Proverbs is full of wisdom. In Proverbs 15, it says, A fool despises his father's instruction, but whoever heeds reproof is prudent. You all want to be proved, proven to be prudent and wise, don't you? How, how can you prove yourself to be prudent and wise according to this passage? Except this truth. I want, to be, I want to be proven to be prudent and wise. So if I need to be rebuked or reproved, I need to hear that. And it says, whoever hates reproof will die. Y'all want to live? We want to live. I'm six. I just turned sixty-four years old. Peter and Clarissa, y'all didn't know that. Y'all were singing "Happy Birthday" to me. You didn't even know it. Just a couple of weeks ago, I turned sixty-four years old. I want to live a while longer if the Lord wills it. How am I going to do that? I won't be one who hates reproof. 
Whoever hates reproof will die. Church, a church will die if there is a, a lacking or an absence of preaching all the counsel of God, which includes encouragement, in-season words that are spiced with sugar and honey and cinnamon, and there are words of reproof or rebuke. Those are not mean words. They're instructive words that maybe correct us in some wrong thinking or wrong action. It takes the word of God to do that, and the pastor is one who's called to share the word of God with the church. You all love life. You love to be proven to be wise. So you will hear every kind of word. I trust. Beginnings are, are foundational to us. They are um, they're a new start. Our Lord Jesus, I want you to turn to the Gospel of Luke. Just very quickly, we look at a. We might. This is not an ordination service at all. But if there's anybody ever qualified to preach his own ordination, you know who that would be. That'd be Jesus. And you know what he did that in Luke four. He preached his own ordination service. Imagine that. Well, he'd already been out preaching. If you read previous to this, it says that he was out in the chapter 4 of Luke's Gospel. It says, in verse 14, Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee. This is after he was baptized, after he was out in the wilderness. He returned to Galilee. In the power of the Spirit, it says, and a report went out from him throughout all the surrounding country in verse 15, and he taught in their synagogues, being glorified by all. So he's already been out preaching. But now he comes home, his home synagogue, his hometown. In verse 16 it says, And he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him, he unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written. And here's what he read. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And I go on, verse 20. And he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. This is, we might say, Jesus' ordination service. To stretch it a bit. But he's appearing before his home folks. His home folks in his hometown. His home synagogue. And they recognize, they recognize that here's the preacher. I mean, they know a little bit about him. He grew up there. And he's been out preaching in all the surrounding synagogues. And so they say, we want him to come here. And so they say, Jesus, come and preach. And here he is. He's in the synagogue. Because that's where he always went. He went where the word of God was being preached and where people, God's people were together worshiping the Lord. It says that was his custom. That's a good custom to have. Go where Go where people are singing to the Lord and go where people are preaching the word. That's where Jesus went. And so it says that he stood up 
he stood up to speak and they gave him the scroll of the prophet Isaiah and he turned to that. He unrolled the scroll to get where that passage was and it says that he read these words. I want you to notice a couple of things about Jesus. It says that the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. This is what Isaiah wrote 700 years before Christ. These words are prophetic words about the coming of the Savior, the Messiah, the Chosen One, the Christ. The word Christ or Messiah means the Anointed One. This is God's chosen servant who will be Savior. He says, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Even Jesus Christ, the Son of God, ministered in the power of the Spirit of the Lord. How much more do we need the power of the Spirit of the Lord upon us, brothers? I'm reading this because I want this to be a... This is Christ. This is His revelation. But we are to be imitators of Christ. We're to be those who have our eyes fixed upon Him. So, brother, you serving as pastor, being set aside, ordained to gospel ministry even today, I want us, I want you to look at this and say, this, this is a pattern for me. To follow my Lord. To follow the chief shepherd. The spirit of the Lord is upon me. He said. Because he has anointed me. To proclaim. Good news. You are. We're not going to anoint you that I know of today. You don't have any oil that we're going to pour on Peter's head. Here do you? We're not going to anoint him. What are we going to do? We're going to lay hands on him. Which is a, a symbol of. Recognition that he's called to this office. So we're not following everything that was done here. Jesus was anointed by God. He was anointed by the Spirit, appointed to this office of Messiah, Christ, Savior. You're being appointed to the office of minister of the gospel. You're already pastor. We are recognizing that you are to proclaim good news. What good news? What is good news? Well, that's the gospel. The gospel is good news. That's what it means. A good word. Good news. A good report. You are reporting. You are testifying that Jesus Christ is Lord. He is Savior to all who will come to him by faith. And so you've got good news to proclaim, brother. And you're proclaiming it. Go on proclaiming it in the power of the Spirit as the Lord gives you the words to speak. He has anointed me to proclaim good news. But listen to whom you are to proclaim. To the rich folks, the powerful, the ones who are in gilded castles. Is that what it says? No. He's anointed Jesus to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captive and recovering of sight to the blind. To set at liberty those who are oppressed. Jesus' constituency and his congregation were the poor, the blind, the captive, the oppressed. Well, I thought ministry should be a fancy calling. And you'd be given a, just a, a fancy field that you get to get into all of the 
See all the powerful women, uh, up and coming folks. No. We're called to seek out the poor, the blind, the captive, the oppressed. And you know what? Everybody without Christ is poor and blind and captive and oppressed. And some even in, church, in the church after they have come to know Christ and all of the freedom and liberty that we have in him to be saved and freed from the bondage of sin, to be given life and hope in Jesus Christ, yet there's still, we have an enemy who comes and he tries to do what? He tries to capture us. Tries to blind our eyes. Tries to oppress us and bruise us. Even here in the church. Brother, you've got a calling to set at liberty. Not You're not Christ, but to point them to Christ who sets at liberty. To heal those who don't have eyes to see. You don't have power in yourself to restore anybody's eyesight. But you point them to Christ who is the light of the world. Who enables them to see. You have a ministry to look out and find those who've been captured and, and, and captivated by the lies of the devil and to do what? To free them. Now, you don't have power to free them, but Jesus does. So what are you to do? Go out and seek them. Seek them here in the church. Free them up. Help them to see. And how are you to do that? In the power of the Spirit. You don't have wisdom enough to do that on your own. You have no power to do that on your own. Neither do you, church. We need the Lord. We need His very Spirit to help us. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, Jesus said. And so we say today, the Lord was given that ministry and He fulfilled it. He fulfilled it by His preaching and His teaching and His going about healing. The Word of God says, the Apostle Peter said, how that God anointed Jesus of Nazareth uh, with the Spirit, and he went out, and he did good, and he healed, and he delivered. He fulfilled his ministry, and he ultimately fulfilled it in giving his life for sinners like us. Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. That's that's your congregation. That's our congregation. Unless we get in any sense full of pride, we ourselves need that power upon us because we can be oppressed. We can be captivated and we could lose sight if we're not careful. So you, church, are to help your pastor. How? By praying for him. By speaking words of encouragement to him. By helping him, and I believe that Peter is the kind of man who would receive this, by helping him receive instruction, if that's what he needs, through the word of God. As you yourself have the spirit of God, then you can go to your brother and share with him the gospel. And my brother has been someone who's been hearing the gospel for, uh, for quite a few years. He still needs to hear it, as you do, as we all do. Let me close this with some exhortations to help us out. In Acts chapter 20, the Apostle Paul is on his way back to Israel. 
And on his way, he, he wants to see the pastors from the church at Ephesus one more time in Acts 20. And so he calls for them, he brings them all together, and he reminds them, he said, I had a ministry among you uh, out publicly. I proclaimed all the counsel of God and from house to house. And he's, he's in Acts chapter 20, he gives them a good pattern. This is what I'm saying to you pastors. He brings the pastors together and he says, I want, to, I want you to minister like I did. In Acts 20, he says, uh, I went from house to house. I went publicly and I proclaimed to you the good news. And so then, he said this in verse 26, I testify you to this, this day that I'm innocent of the blood of you all. Acts 20 verse 26. For I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. So the pastor has the charge to preach the whole counsel of God. And you church have the charge to hear the whole counsel of God. All of it. And to love it. And to feed your souls upon it. And to come here week by week and hear the word of God preached verse by verse and book by book. However the Lord will lead that to be done. And receive the whole counsel of God. Preach, brother, the whole counsel. Don't hold back and say, well, I've got certain favorite things I like to preach. i got this certain favorite things I like to preach. No, preach the whole counsel. That's what Paul did. And he said then, I'm innocent of the blood of you all. I'm innocent of the blood of you all because I've shared the whole truth of God. And it's your responsibility to hear Verse 24, go back a verse or two. Paul said, I do not account my life to be of any value, not as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course in the ministry that I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. I'm not going to ask you how old you are, but I pray the Lord will give you 30, 40, 50 more years of gospel ministry. But at some point, there'll be a finish to it. There is, there is an end in sight. It's way down the road. But may we be faithful to fulfill the ministry that the Lord has given us. In the grace of God, in the power of the Spirit, as we go with Him, He says, verse 28. Pay careful attention to yourselves. He says this to the pastors and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseer. Um, this church is not a mega church, although you know you really are. I used to say this to our church in Christiansburg, which many Sundays was had a was a smaller congregation than Smithfield. I said, you're a big church because most of our members are already in heaven. The church established in 1799 had thousands of members. Most of them already graduated. Face to face looking at the Lord. Most of your members, Smithfield, are already with the Lord. And may the Lord increase your tribe and give you thousands more Praise God for that. But, but he said here, pay attention, pastor, 
careful attention to yourself, your own life, your doctrine, and to all the flock. That means all the flock. To the little ones, to the old ones, to the middle-aged ones, to the sick ones, to the healthy ones, to those who are strong, to those who are weak. All the flock should pay careful attention to, to all of them. That'll take some time to get to know them all. But get to know them with careful attention. Verse 31, he says, Be alert. Therefore, be alert. And he gave his own example, remembering that for three years I was here being alert with you. You've got to be alert. You've got to be on the station. Uh, help your pastor, church, to be alert. Give him some rest. Help him to be alert. Because he's watching out for your soul. He's watching out for your soul. The third exhortation is this. His last exhortation. You church have been called to receive the good gift of God's provision. The doctrine of the apostles and prophets. The word of the evangelists and now the ministry of the pastor. Why? To do what? To equip you for the work of the ministry. So church, who's supposed to do all the work of the ministry? Ah, the church. Well, I thought it was him. You're supposed to do all the work of the ministry here at Smithfield, pastor. Not according to the word of God. He is to equip you for the work of ministry. Till we all come to the maturity in Christ and the, all the fullness of the stature in Christ. We want to be growing up. That's what it says. That we're growing up as a church under the instruction of the pastor who equips us to do the work of ministry. We're to do the work of ministry. And our brothers help us do that. And with God's help, we will. In closing, Paul said to Timothy in 1 Timothy 5, The aim of our charge is love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience. And a sincere faith. The aim of our charge to you, Pastor Peter Phillips, to you, Church Smithfield, the aim of our charge is love. Not fame, not fortune, not power. The aim of our charge is love. Where does that love come from? It issues from a pure heart. And a good conscience. And a sincere faith. Ministry is not to be endeavored without faith. You can't love people without faith in Christ. You've got to have a pure conscience. As we stand before the Lord. And a pure heart. Now where do you get all that? You can't make that up. And when it says a pure conscience and a good heart, we're, we're not here to puff up Peter. We're here to honor Jesus. He's the one who gives us a heart of love, a pure heart, a good conscience, and a sincere faith.
There may be some, I don't know, there may be some here, someone. And you'd say, well, those, those words kind of cut me because I don't have a pure heart. I don't have a good conscience. I don't know what it means to have a sincere faith. Neither did Peter Philip. Neither could I dare to say I have such a thing in me. It is as we come to Christ, the Savior of sinners, the liberator of captives, the one who restores sight to the blind, as we come to him by faith, trusting that he died for, not the world in general, he died for my sins. And I receive his forgiveness. And I call upon the name of the Lord, and he washes us clean of the guilt and shame of our sin. He enables us to have a good heart pure heart, a good conscience, and sincere faith. Praise God for this. Father, we thank you for your mercy today through the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, we pray that you'll help us now that we would honor you as believers, as your daughters and sons, to walk in this life with a sincere faith, with a good conscience and a pure heart. Lord, we don't have those naturally. Those are your gifts to us as we trust in Jesus our Savior. Lord, if there's anyone here today, anyone this morning, would be here and say, I, I don't know what those are. But Lord, would you give them the desire, the hunger and thirst in their heart even now that they would say, yes, Lord, help me. Cleanse my conscience. Cleanse my heart. Help me, Lord, to believe in the one and only Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave his life for me. Bless Pastor Peter Phillip. And bless what we do now to honor you, to glorify you, we pray in Jesus' name.